So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello and welcome back to episode 64 of the Running Rugby podcast and it's a very special one because this is the one you've all been waiting for, our World Cup preview. That's right, it's less than a week away for us now. Japan, Rugby World Cup, what a mix. I can't wait for this one. I'm joined here by Toby and Leo once again. Boys, how keen are you for this weekend? Leo's so keen, doesn't want to talk. <laughs> I'm pumped, Dutch. I want to. I want to get home to now and watch it with the family and and settle in for what should be a good kickoff for the Wallabies in this in this tournament. Yeah, mate. The first weekend going to be huge. Yeah, and it kicks off not not with the Wallabies, but we've got Japan and Russia on the first night, and that that'll be an interesting one because the host nations obviously want to come out strong, and Japan have been preparing for this game for over a year now and we'll be able to see what the cherry blossoms bring to this world cup they'll win that for sure easy money if you're a betting man i definitely have them winning that and and we're about to get into our actual pool previews and that will highlight a bit of what what we think is going to happen in the world cup what we think is going to be the final teams that we see and where people are going to fall out and we'll go through a little bit on what teams odds are at the end and have a look at any other betting games that maybe we can give a bit of a hint to so we might just jump into it, boys, and we've all split up a pool to talk about. Uh, myself taking us through pool A, Toby taking us through pool B, Leo through pool C, and we'll have a combined look at pool D and the, what the Wallabies look to expect as well. Where do you want to start, boys? Are you happy for me to kick it off in pool A? Yeah, mate. Let's uh, set a baseline for the research, then Toby can follow up. Well, that's it. I've taken a bit of a deep dive into some of these teams. Obviously, Pool A, we've got Ireland, Scotland, the host nation, Japan, Russia, and Samoa, who we just saw on Australian shores. So it's a really interesting pool. I reckon it's one of the hottest contested pools in the Rugby World Cup, and I reckon there will be a few upsets. But we'll start with who I suspect will finish the top of the pool. Ireland, world ranking number one, have had a pretty good, actually, lead-in to this World Cup after a really dodgy early 2019, but they've come off three wins out of the last four, only going down to England in that big loss, 57-15. But after that, have got those two big wins over Wales and reclaimed the number one ranking in the world. I see them finishing first in the pool, but I do see them going out in the quarters and early exit. And I have them going out versus New Zealand in the quarters. Um, and my players to watch from this team, I've got a couple... I want to highlight one of the forwards, James Ryan. He's been put in a, a, a bit of a shock in Irish camps, the fact that Devon Toner hasn't been put in. But I think it's testament to someone like James Ryan. He's a bit of a younger, he's a bit more of a dynamic lock. And you can see how much of a difference these guys make in world rugby. The difference between the All Blacks having Brody Retallick in their team versus not. The difference between England having Itoje in. It's these big locks that are good in the set piece, but dynamic around the field. They'll make breaks, they'll make offloads. And I see James Ryan as one guy to watch with that. And similarly, in the back line, 
a guy that doesn't get talked about that much in Irish rugby, but is a New Zealand convert, Bundy Arkey in there at 12. Everyone talks about Murray and Sexton in there, but these guys we know, they're going to play well, but if so you don't have someone stabilising that back line like Bundy Arkey with some solid straight running to actually allow their outside backs. In, in Ireland, they have some electric guys outside like Lamore and Henshaw, though I've just read that Robbie Henshaw may miss that first game versus Scotland. I think Bundy Arkey, if he stands up and he gives them some good fo- go forward through the centre, I think he's going to be a key to Ireland having some se- success in this World Cup. Yeah, and those last two wins they had against Wales will be good confidence boost leading in. Uh, the only caveat I'd had to that is having looked at Wales uh, in the lead up to this podcast, the the team that Wales played against the Irish in the well, in both the games was definitely not their first first string full set of fifteen. They they've definitely trialed a few backup players and given guys an opportunity to sort of blow away the cobwebs leading into the tournament. So uh, with twelve months ago, we were talking about Ireland being a really strong team and almost almost talking about them being favourites for this World Cup that far out, and they haven't quite held that. Um, lofty status through 2019. So does that mean they're a dark horse or does that mean that they have actually slipped and they're not as competitive? I like to think they're still they're still on their game and they'll lift for this World Cup. Yeah, I would agree with that, Leon. I've always had the feeling Ireland was underperforming the last, say, six months or a year or so and um, they will get back to their best. But is there some conjecture around who's actually their starting 10, whether it is Carberry or Sexton? Because I know Carberry's carrying this injury. And it's whether Sexton gets that, you know, he's going to get the first crack probably at that 10 jersey and whether he can hold on to it after that. Yeah, speaking to whether I think they can go deep in the tournament, I've said they go in the quarters and they're paying $9 to win. I don't really think they, they have the medal at the moment. But as you said, momentum going into this, having a couple of wins is such an important thing. Similarly, with the next team that we're looking at is Scotland, who world rank number seven, Look, they've had a couple of wins going into the last couple of games. They've beat Georgia twice on the road and at home, beat France at home, and then lost to France in a bit of a dismal display in Paris, 32-3, to about a month ago. I actually have Scotland not making out of the pool stages. I think they finished third in their pool. Um, spoiler behind host nations, Japan. I don't think that their forward packs are really up to it at the moment. The only person that... I see that can turn that forward pack around a little bit. And it's my player to watch is Hamish Watson. They're number seven. He's a really stout, strong player that really can get lots of turnovers. The Ruck, I see him as a little bit of a Brousseau. uh, If you've watched former South African rugby, that guy that you just cannot move and that sort of Pocock type guy that you cannot move at the Ruck and get you a couple of turnovers in a game and really gets you on the front foot a couple of times in the game. That combined with some of their electric outside backs. Uh, the only one I'm going to highlight, because I don't think there's a huge amount um, that helps. I mean, players like Hogg, you know, are going to be good. But one to keep your eye on, Darcy Graham. He's a little 22-year-old, 75 kilo. He's almost built in the statue of Shane Williams, but he just wants it. And you see him, he was uh, absolutely integral in England getting out that draw uh, versus England late in the Six Nations, that 28-all draw. But Darcy Graham, he's just that little guy, and he, he'll keep the Scots moving as well. And we'll keep moving on and going to Japan, who I do have as a bit of a upset team, obviously taking it over Scotland. Look, they're ranked number 10 in the world, 
but they've had a great run into this World Cup. I have them coming in second um, and then facing up versus uh, South Africa in the quarterfinals and going out in that exit. But they've had a great run in. Obviously, they just lost to South Africa, but before that, they beat Fiji, Tonga, USA, absolutely smashing it in the Pacific Nations Cup. And I think the difference in this Japanese team that you haven't seen and the reason they're going to get over Scotland is... They've got big forwards. They've got a couple of really big forwards that are really going to help them go forward. The likes of people like Amanaki Murphy is obviously there. Michael Leach uh, is still there and he's still repping and he plays so hard for Japan. But then two other names to look at is Kazuki Himeno and Uwe Helu. Two second rowers. The Himeno does play in the back row as well, but they're both over 100 kilos, both really ferocious and aggressive players and will try and break through the middle in some strong carry. So I really think that the Japanese forwards are really going to help this team move forward and allow them to actually have some success in this World Cup. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing Japan kick off strong and, and they've definitely been building well into this World Cup. Those guys you've mentioned, Archie, and their backs are quite uh, creative and, and they're just bringing so much energy. I, I think they'll go far. And yeah, I, I like the tip that maybe they will overcome Scotland if, if they can't uh, find their way in this tournament. I'm probably not as bullish as you, Arch, on, on Japan. I, th- I feel like Scotland will win that game. It's too important for them. And I think Japan has a lot of hype. I think they'll probably destroy Russia in the first game, and it might go a little bit downhill from there. But, you know, it's definitely an exciting team, and I think a very different look to even last World Cup when they did get that big, big win over South Africa. There's a lot, lot more talent in this team. Even having someone like Amanaki Marfi playing regularly, like, you know they're going to get go forward. Um yeah, those forwards, I think, like you say, they're going to be pretty strong. Yeah, I think Jamie Joseph has done a really good good job with this team, so I'm really excited to see what the Cherry Blossoms bring. That brings it to probably two of the less exciting teams that we'll see in this Pool A, um, one of them being Russia, world rank of number 20, which is actually not the lowest rank of all the teams in this World Cup. They're above teams like Namibia. Look, they've, they've had a struggle in the last sort of 12 months, but they do hold that rank reasonably well, but... Look, they've lost to Italy, Canada, USA, and they actually just lost to Connacht, the Irish provincial team, 42-14. So a little bit difficult for them. I do see them finishing last in this pool. I think they'll struggle to actually get a win in this World Cup. The people to watch in this, their fly half, Ramil Gaysin, uh, is a guy with a massive boot, a really good tactical kicking game. If you go back to November last year when Russia were playing Japan, You can see his effect on the game absolutely just keeping the Russians in that good territory and a couple of cross-field kicks that are pinpoint that allowed Russia to score late in that game as well to almost take it away there. So that's one name to definitely keep an eye on, as well as someone like Jermaine Davido, who's a guy that's been on the Russian 7s circuit for a long time, a really big guy, over 100 kilos, but has got pace to burn as well. And he'll either be playing fly half or maybe in the outside backs as well. But Russia, a bit of a dark horse. Unfortunately, won't probably see too much of them past those pool stages. And we'll finish it off with Samoa, who we obviously just saw in Australia going down to the Wallabies. And look, they've had losses to Fiji before that and USA. They did beat Tonga back in the Pacific Nations Cup 27, uh, 25-17, but world ranking of 16. And they're probably going to finish second to last in this pool with only the sole win over Russia, I'm projecting. The people I'm looking at in this ones, and there are a few of the old names. They've played for Samoa for many years. There's people like Tim Nano-Williams. Obviously, anyone watching Super Rugby 5 
six years ago. We'll remember this guy from the Chiefs was absolutely electric there and is still able to create that spark from fullback for them. He's probably lost a yard of pace, but he, he wants it and he plays with a lot of heart for Samoa. Combine him with a man that, again, you might remember from Super Rugby, Motu Matu, who might only be the reserve hooker in that, but, God, if you if you put in his highlight reel on uh, on YouTube, you'll see some absolutely massive hits, especially versus the Rebels back in 2012 when he was playing for the Hurricanes. Pretty sure he uh, knocked a few years off Mark Gerrard and Lachlan Mitchell's life with some of the hits. They're absolutely bone-crunching things. And if he brings that kind of defense on late in the game, uh, he'll, he'll definitely make a few highlight reels in this World Cup as well. And you'd have to think that Samoa-Japan is going to be a great game to watch. I know that we're talking about Japan versus Scotland. But I think even Samoa has probably you know, a fair chance to actually knock off Japan and, and possibly even Scotland if they're not on their game. They're a bit of a dangerous team. And you saw what they did to the Wallabies in that second half in that last game. They could really put us to the sword and it wasn't a massive blowout in that one. We only beat them by 20. Um, so I think Samoa, again, um, if they play discipline, they look fit enough. They've got Chris Latham on board, so they've got some real, like a real good rugby mind in their back line there to actually coach them up. And I think that, yeah, like Tim Nunnall-Williams, they've got some big names still across the team. So, um, look, I'm, I'm looking for big things from them as well. Why don't we jump into Pool B then, and we'll go, go to you, Toby. How do you see Pool B going? Mate, well, I think this is a little bit of a predictable pool in some ways. It's really, you know, New Zealand and South Africa are the two we're looking at here to, to go through the, the final stages. Other teams in this pool, probably teams we're not really looking to see a whole lot of out, out of. Italy, Canada and Namibia. Got Italy coming in at 14th. They've been underperforming in the Six Nations for a number of years now. Canada is has a world ranking of 22nd. Namibia, 23rd. So... You know, there's, it's going to be a little bit of a tussle, I think, between the All Blacks and the Springboks. You can't see them probably losing to any of these teams. Um, and, you know, it's it's going to be one to watch, I think, for Italy and Canada. Maybe that, that bout will decide third. But Namibia, you'd have to say, after losing to, if you remember back in 2003, they lost the Wallabies 142-0. So they've got that record under their belt as one of the worst losses or the worst mm. loss in World Cup history. And I think that, look, they'll just be looking to avoid something similar against New Zealand. So if we go, if we kind of look back on, you know, from last place to first, I'm actually taking Namibia to be bottom in this pool. Mm-hmm. Um, look, they're, they're trying to achieve things as a minnow nation, but I just don't see a whole lot coming out of it. And they've got one player probably to look at it from Ospreys. He's a winger. Um, he's been performing well for them for a number of years. Leslie Klim, he, he's only 24, um, but he already has nine tries from 12 games for Namibia. So someone like that who's got a bit of pace out on the wing could be scoring a couple of tries maybe against you know Italy or um, even Canada. But look, I don't think they're probably going to score too many points against the Springboks or the All Blacks. Mm. Um, next up, I would say Canada is going to finish fourth. Um, a guy to watch for them. They've been performing probably below their standards as well a little bit. Um, you remember in the past they've been one of the stronger teams from the Americas, but at the moment they're probably slipping down the rankings a bit. Tyler Ardron is someone from the Chiefs that, you know, he's been playing Super Rugby for a number of years, and he's probably the best player to be looking out for there. Even though he's losing his hair, he's only 28, and you know he's got 33 international caps for for Canada, so he's a bit of a leader in that team. And 
you know, he'll be with his high work rate and his bit of that handling around the park and the forwards. I think he can really help them um, maybe put some points on the board against the other lower teams in this um, pool. Yeah, that Canada Italy game should be should be a tight one, shouldn't it? I just I can't see Italy scoring that many points. So if Canada hold in with them, like you'd think that they might be able to snatch it, surely. Yeah, I'd still probably pick Italy, but I know what you mean. I think Canada, just the way Italy has been playing. I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think that it's it's probably going to be a high scoring game. I reckon the defense of these two teams isn't going to be great. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you could see a big one in this, and like you say, it's it's a it's a game that's going to decide third. I would say so. I'd be picking Italy, but you know Canada does have a chance in this for sure. Mm. Um, so if we have a closer look at Italy, look, they underperformed as I said for quite a number of years now in the Six Nations. There's been talk of Georgia coming in for them in the Six Nations or some sort of relegation system, just because they haven't been on their game for you know probably five years at least. Um, they finished top 12 in 2015 and they didn't need to actually, they automatically qualified for this year's World Cup. So even if they're at 14th in the world, they got an automatic qualification coming in Japan. Um, Sergio Parise is a guy that we're pretty familiar with. This is his fifth World Cup. So he's been around for a long time now, um, really holding it down for Italy there at number eight. Um, yeah, even though their form has been pretty pretty mixed in the last few years i think italy on, on their day do have the ability to perform if they're in a pool say with scotland or something you might see a bit of an upset there but i just think south and new zealand will be far too strong mm. um so that should round out i think the the bottom three in this pool and then it really comes down to looking at two might mighty juggernauts of world rugby in the all blacks and the Springboks. and i know you guys have kind of had maybe thoughts that South Africa could actually take down New Zealand in this pool and um, win it and then basically go through or take them on in, say, wait, they're on different sides of the pool, aren't they? They're not actually, they wouldn't meet in the semis, would they? No, they could only meet in the final. Okay, so you guys have kind of thought, well, this game is going to be the big one to watch, obviously, but you're thinking South Africa might be able to surprise New Zealand. I'm probably more on the side of, look, I think New Zealand... Having lost there in New Zealand, or Drew, sorry, early in the year, I just think New Zealand will be really right up for this one. And although they're carrying some injuries at the moment, the All Blacks, guys like Brody Retallick probably won't be there for that game. Um, we've seen Crotty come back, but it's kind of still a little bit up in the air there, the formation of their back line and who's going to be playing there. I just think the All Blacks can get it done. I, do, I think they'll go, they'll win this pool, and they'll move on into the finals and probably get there to the, the grand final in the end. But... South Africa, we've looked at their squad. It's probably one of the best they've had ever in a World Cup. Mm-hmm. So much depth there. Um, in terms of players to watch, I mean, there's probably too many to name almost. I think, you know, some of like Andre Pollard is extremely important to their campaign. If they were to lose him, they're back to Yankees, and it really does change the way they play. So I, I would say that's a guy for South Africa I'd be looking at pretty closely. Mm. What about you he's guys? He's one of the favourites for player of the whole tournament, Andre Pollard, actually, at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I really, I'm a big fan of the South Africans. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, as you say, they, they don't beat New Zealand in the pools. But if they can get to the grand final, the, the World Cup championship game, I mean, it'd be a hell of a game uh, against the All Blacks in the, in the final there. I, I would actually think maybe having seen them once, maybe they could, could rise and, and get them in the final. So um, I'd be, if I, if I couldn't watch Australia play in the final, 
that'd probably be my pick for the final. Yeah, another big name to to watch, I think, Sia Khaleesi. As the captain, he's overcoming the injury and he'll be back. So um, he's, again, a very important player to that team. You've seen his influence on the game when he's been fit in the last couple of years and a real leader. So um, real real boost for them to have him back at, at number six. Um, and look, if they can overcome some of the controversy that they've had off the field, as we talked about last week, then I think they'll be in good stead. But I just don't think they'll they'll beat the All Blacks in this pool. I definitely see that as a, a preview of the World Cup final right there. And look, I hope you're right. I hope the All Blacks win out earlier because I think Australia have a better chance of taking down South Africa in semis. We've done that before um, multiple times to get it to the final. Whereas I don't think if we meet the All Blacks in the semis, we're going to make it through. So I hope I hope you're right. Mm. So that's the first weekend of play. That's the Saturday night game. So that's keep good. an eye on that. I think we've got a whole afternoon for the Australian time zone of, of great rugby games on that one, including the Wallabies taking on Fiji. So huge one to watch. And um, it's going to define, I think, the way the finals play out, maybe just on, on that game, given how the pools are set up. Yeah, 100%. Um, why don't we just jump straight into Pool C then, Leah? Take us through it. Pool C, what was uh, was getting bandied around as the pool of death uh, for this World Cup. Got three stronger sides and a couple of minnow nations. Uh, I'm going to go from bottom to top of what I think the the results will fall out. Um, and sorry, bottom bottom to top, but based on rankings. And actually, the lowliest ranked team in this pool is Tonga. So Tonga, USA, France, Argentina, and England are the, are the group in Pool C. And Tonga coming in at fifteenth. They've had that recent loss to New Zealand, 92-7. to seven. Big setback, big momentum killer. Uh, obviously, they'll, they'll be hoping that, that things don't get that bleak in the World Cup itself. Uh, but they have only had one win from five leading into the World Cup, and that was against Canada. So New Zealand, Fiji, Samoa, and Japan have all rolled Tonga in recent times. Coach Todd Ikefu will be looking to turn, the, turn this around. He's, he's up against it, though. They've, they've never progressed past the pools, and... With this particular draw, you'd think that it's, it's going to be a, a tough ask, upsetting two of the big three in the pool. But a player I'd like to keep an eye on, and, and you may recognise from Super Rugby, like many of these players, Sam Lousy, mm. who's coming back from a torn pectoral uh, in the preseason of this year's Super Rugby. So we didn't actually see him playing for the Hurricanes this year. Uh, you may have noticed he was missing. He's he's going to be there for Tonga, and if he's going to really bring the physicality against players like Itoje from England need players like Sam Lousy to step up. So hopefully he's back to full health. Keep an eye on him uh, rampaging through the middle of the field and, and throwing a few offloads for Tonga. Yeah, he certainly looked good versus the All Blacks last weekend. Uh, he was one of the few that would keep taking contact, not getting knocked back by the All Blacks. And yeah, that offload game for him, I think, is a, a massive um, benefit for his play and can really help Tonga. Yep, next up in Pool C, we've got the USA. So these guys were recently 14th, have just super, uh, just jumped Italy up to 13th. They've got four out of five wins in the lead-up, three of which were over Canada, though, so maybe don't carry too much on that stat. Canada seem to be getting around, just getting beaten by other teams at the moment. Uh, again, have never progressed past the pools, and they're going to face England, France, and Argentina straight up, so they're, they're three toughest matches off the bat. Um, the coaching ranks for them, Gary Gold and um, defensive coach Jacques Fury. From, both from South Africa, so definitely a South African flavour to the coaching ranks in this one. They're bringing a 50-man squad. They had to make room for Paddy Ryan, the prop, 
who is unlikely to play. Not the Paddy Ryan we know, but uh, another Paddy Ryan. Wait, how they how they bring a fifty man squad? What I don't, I think that's that's what was named in June. So okay. they've had a huge squad. I, I haven't actually seen the whittled down squad. I had really had trouble finding it. Um, but regardless, the, the player you want to keep an eye on. The USA team comes with a lot of sevens uh, players in that group, and they'll they'll bring that high energy, high intensity attacking game. Blaine Scully, who's the captain. Uh, he's a fullback. He's a sevens veteran, and he was the vice captain in 2015. So we've got a bit of staying power in in the captains and in the leadership group. They've got a few people who are backing up between World Cups, and but quite a few debutants as well. Um, Blaine Scully coming out of fullback will be looking to light up other teams, and that again we we don't expect a lot from a team like the USA when they're up against the uh, England, the Argentinians, the French. Um, maybe against Tonga, the game might open up a bit, and you'll see a bit of him. Next next lowest rank is France. So France are actually ranked eighth at the moment. They've been two out of three wins since the Six Nations, uh, but they've only beaten Italy and Scotland this year. So, again, the, the, the recent form is okay, but not, it's not against particularly strong opposition, not Tier 1 nations, you'd say. Uh, they're going to face Argentina and, um, and, the England, and the England team last. So, first up, Argentina, and then England at the death. Um, they've been bridesmaids in three finals in the World Cup's history, 87, 99, and 2011. So they're, they're the sort of team which you don't always know exactly how they're going to to rank coming into the World Cup. They're a bit of a dark horse. They definitely play on a lot of energy, uh, a lot of emotion. Uh, they can be a complete flop, but they can also surprise. And they're, they've typically been a team which they don't really see um, the rank of the opposition. They they come in thinking they've got every chance to win these matches and, and they've upset a few teams who came in and, and didn't expect so much in opposition. So they're soft lead-in. They've had their 31-man squad since June. Um, they don't have Mr. Bustero, one of Toby's favourite players. <laughs> um, so, so instead, I would suggest you watch a couple of their other backs. Uh, centre Sofiane Guillotin, who will be playing at inside centre, has had a really, really good lead-up to the World Cup, uh, scored a few tries and, and just a really physical, direct player. You'll see him bust through the line, challenging the English, challenging the Argentinian defence. And uh, if he's if he's passing the ball on, you might see a bit of Damien Penault, who's on the wing. He's had two tries in his last match against Scotland. Another really electric outside back. Um, not someone you want to give a lot of space to. Uh, sort of the, this is exactly the sort of player where if a team is getting a bit casual in defence and, and not expecting too much from the French... They slip the ball out wide, and if you don't have your players sliding out in coverage, this is the kind of guy who will outflank you and run it over for a try. Yeah, I'm. I kind of feel like France are that team. Like you said, they're a dark horse, and I actually think they're going to turn it on a little bit here. You're right; they've had a really quiet 2019, and a little bit of controversy back in the Six Nations where they were called out for not trying hard enough, and they brought in a few young guys like Dupont and Natamac, um, who's a bit of a legacy in French rugby, but. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the French bring to this pool of death. But yeah, starting straight up versus Argentina is going to be real tough. It's going to be pivotal. And and particularly, I just remember last year when the French came over and played New Zealand and had a really tough time. We had all the controversy about um, sort of players, particularly their fullback, chasing chasing um, high kicks and you know tackles players in the air when really was he tackling them or was he actually trying to contest the ball, only had eyes for the ball. 
Um, I think they got a rough run there. I thought they were going to really challenge New Zealand. So if they can bring that form, uh, they're definitely definitely a chance at coming through the pool stages in the top two. However, their opposition, the Argentinians and the English. So Argentina currently ranked 11th um, and have only played um, a few games in the lead-up outside the uh, rugby championship. They actually played Randwick uh, mm-hmm. most recently. Uh, who Obviously, you would expect Randwick being a club team from Sydney, playing a few people like Andrew Walker uh, for, for your rugby historians. I haven't mm-hmm. seen him in a in a strip for, for a fair few years. Um, but the core of this team being a Haguares group, they've been together all year. They've brought in a few people from outside that squad, but ultimately they're, they're all very familiar. There's some good combinations. And in more recent World Cups, they've been third in 2007, fourth at the last World Cup in 2015, a team that's building. They've got Mario Ledesma at coach, uh, ex-Australian scrum coach, and... Look, there's, there's a lot of good signs for them too. They're going to face France, as we said, in the first match, and then they've got to take England on in their third match. So they've got a bit of time to build towards England. If they can get it up over over France, they need to keep it steady against Tonga and then hopefully take on England. And I'd love to see them beat the English, obviously. Um, we've talked a lot about them all year, from the Haguaras at least. Uh, I think, for me, I've always been really excited to think the things they can do with their back row and their back three. So their versatile back row, uh, Matera, Kramer, Ortega, Desio, those guys are just all over the ball, making big tackles, making breaks, offloading, supporting the breaks, um, just bringing so much energy and 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 skill to that uh, linking position as the back rowers. Uh, but they're back three as well. You've got a mix of players. We'll see a few combinations, but Buffelli, Moyano, Tucolet, Cancellare, all of which have huge pace, great skills, and great finishing prowess. So, um, look, I want to see these guys lift. I want to see them roll France early. I want to see them roll England. And then I'd probably like to see the French roll England and see them go out in the pool stages twice. <laughs> don't, know how, don't know how likely you think that is, boys. It's, I know it was uh, so good last time, probably hoping for too much this time. Yeah, in my opinion, I think Argentina might still surprise some people. I know that... We were pretty high on them previous to these international season and, you know, the form of the Haguaros, we thought maybe they could carry that right through. But I just think they're going to take a bit more time and they might have been a bit um, a bit exhausted from a pretty intense super rugby season. So I'm looking for Argentina really to give France a pretty good shake and, and like you say, England as well. I would say that they're going to come second in the, in the pool, but, I mean, it's hard to pick with France. They're always a bit of a dark horse and... We saw, you know, eight years ago, they challenged New Zealand in the final. So they're no, they're a team that when you write them off, they do surprise you. And um, similar to Argentina in some ways. But I, I just think that the the fact these guys know each other so well for Argentina, for the Pumas, I think that that's actually really going to hold them in good stead um, throughout this tournament. So what about England, Leo? What, what's your takeaway from them? Obviously, they're the favourites in this pool. Yeah, look, England should definitely be winning this. If we, we're going on and everyone's build up and, and recent history rankings and the lot, England are certainly the favourites. I'm not expected to be upset, but obviously we can always hope. Uh, they've had four out of five wins in the lead-up. They came second in the Six Nations this year, so they've lost recently to Wales, playing in Cardiff. They actually had a draw with Scotland in the Six Nations, which uh, got the Scottish pretty excited. 
Uh, they're, they're finishing their pool with games against Argentina and France. So they'll, they'll be building gradually into this tournament, um, coming up against the stiffer opposition late in the pool. Um, obviously, champions once in 2003, much as it's painful to remember, and twice mm. previously in finals of the World Cup as well. So a bit of, a bit of um, form there. Certainly a strong Northern Hemisphere team we're expecting to see go deep into the finals. Um, Eddie Jones has led this team to a very solid record in the past 12 months, uh, including wins over Wales, Ireland, uh, South Africa and Australia, but not New Zealand. So I guess we would always expect New Zealand to, to be the favourite over most teams, but they're definitely the, the Achilles heel for England based on form, though they only lost that game by one point. So if the English can find their best form, we should definitely be wary of them whether we're talking about Wallabies or any of our other favoured teams in that final series, I would expect England to try and put away Argentina and France by at least a couple of tries and, and, and carry some confidence into the playoffs. Who's your X-factor for England? Uh, I mentioned him earlier. So Atoje in the second row, we, we actually we've got a bit of a theme of these mobile physical second rowers, mm. but they do do more than, than just scrummage and do lineouts and, and execute the set piece. It's, it is when they can bring the big tackles in the midfield, drive the ball back, create um, a back foot scenario for the attacking team, and, and then your back rowers come through and hopefully pinch the ball. Uh, Toje's very quick, very strong, will offload. Um, just and, and you know maybe maybe a bit of a talisman for the English. Like he's he's such a prominent figure in their side. If he's playing well, he'll he'll drag a lot of guys along with him. Uh, I think he's probably one to watch for the English side. Toby, you may have some others since you're so close to the to the squad over there. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of guys. I think Johnny May um, is one of the guys I always like to to see. He scores plenty of tries, um, but I think this this England team will really have to be solid in their forwards, and they got some big boys running around as you've talked about. Um, it's the makeup of their playmakers midfield. If if they go back, I think to Farrell, to Alangi, and and Slade, their thirteen. I think that's probably the best combination. But we've seen of late George Ford's been playing ten occasionally, and Farrell can slot into twelve. So it's whether Eddie's still thinking exactly how he's going to run that back line. Um, but yeah, it's it's an England team that I think is a top four team in this World Cup, and I don't actually think they'll have too much trouble disposing of the other teams in this pool. And obviously a fairly easy run into the into the end of their pool with, as you said, Leo, facing off against some of the weaker teams to start with, with Tonga and USA being their first two games before they hit France and Argentina later on. Yeah, that's right. And and if you play it out, if England win their pool and then they play the runner-up of Pool D, that could be Australia if we can't pick it up against Wales, which we'll talk about. I'd, I'd like to think we'll beat Wales. And, and win our pool, but certainly if they if they if England get on top in Pool C, they'll play at the runner-up from Pool D, and then the winner of that match will go on to play the winner of the Pool B winner versus runner-up of Pool A, and that's very likely to be New Zealand all going well. So England will face New Zealand before the final if all the all the sort of favoritisms play out. Mm. Uh, so in terms of that Achilles heel, that's the game that they need to pre- be prepared for and be ready for. That's very likely to happen. Mm. And that mm. brings us to Pool D, obviously, with the Wallabies there, Wales, as we've said, um, Fiji, Georgia, and Uruguay. 
and we might continue going from our lowest rank up to the top. And I, I do believe that Uruguay is probably the team we suspect to finish lowest down on Pool D. Is that right, Tobes? Yeah, mate, I'm not expecting much from them. Unlike their, their neighbours, Argentina, Uruguay, don't quite have the pedigree. And look, I think that Wales and the Wallabies are going to pl- put plenty of points on them. Mm. As a world ranking, they're at 19. Uh, they have suffered um, only one loss in the last four, but they've beat people like USA, Brazil and Chile and lost to a bit of a second string Argentinian 15 in the Americas Championship earlier this year was their last loss. But a team that may have a few sparks, they've got a few players actually that do play in the Major League Rugby in America now. And that's one player I want to highlight from them is their scrum half, and that's uh, Santiago Arata, who's plays for the Houston Sabercats. He's their number nine. Um, he's a little bit uh, of a Nick White sort of form. He'll always continue to probe the line. He's not afraid to get into a ruck and try and make a pilfer for himself. And he always wants to take on a gap and tries to make a break himself. So he's one guy that might uh, try and spark something for them late. And I can easily see how Samoa scored one of their tries versus the Wallabies last week uh, with the halfback running off the back of the ruck. Um, I can see Arada doing a similar thing to the Wallabies if they get um, locked up in that scrum or um, Lucan Salakai Lotto doesn't keep his eyes up. So he's just one to be wary of in this Uruguayan team. Next, we probably have Georgia. And Toby, I think you, you've looked in a bit of, into these Georgians um, of who to, who to watch out for. Yeah, well, Georgia's a team that, you know, have been on the cusp of, of being in the you know, top tier nations for a little while now. Um, although they've made every single World Cup since 2003, but not been able to get out of their pool. Um, but they're definitely a team on the rise. They're ranked 12 at the moment, just ahead of Argentina and just behind USA. And look, I think they're a team that are, over the next, say, five to ten years are going to be challenging some of those, you know, Northern Hemisphere teams like Italy uh, that, you know, we, we think are in the top tier still. Um, so I think George is right on the cusp of that, which is is exciting to see. Um, in terms of guys to watch, they've got a lot of good front rowers that play throughout France and um, even some in the English Premiership here. But there's one particular guy who's a back row, Becker. I don't even know how to pronounce this, but I think Gorgard's there. He's 23 years old. Um, he plays in France, and he's he basically is a pretty strong number eight, plays for the Bordeaux Beagles. In, um, and, and basically it's been dominating this season. So I think he's definitely one to watch. Um, I'm not sure whether he will slender number eight or not, but he's definitely going to be in the back row there somewhere. Um, but yeah, Georgia for me is a team that even could challenge Fiji. I know we're talking about Fiji possibly, you know, shocking the world and, and beating the Wallabies or, or Wales to maybe claim the second spot there in that pool. But I think Georgia equally has a chance to actually beat Fiji. Bold, and I mean, that brings us to Fiji, who, I mean, all the odds have finishing third in this, and look, they're world-ranked number nine there. Um, They've won three of their last four matches, only losing to Japan um, in the Pacific Nations Cup. But in terms of players to watch in this team, and it could literally be anyone on this whole team, we all know how exciting this Fijian team can be and all the players in there. They've got a wealth of players that they've sourced from that successful uh, sevens team that won a gold medal back in Rio. So they've got a wealth of players that can excite from anywhere on the field. But 
fitting into our sort of theme, I guess, it sounds like it's going to be a World Cup that's dominated by some of these lock forwards. And the man I want to highlight from Fiji is Leonie Nakarawa, who plays for Clermont. And he's sort of known as the offloading king. And to be known as that as a, among the Fijians is quite a big achievement. But he's a guy that, again, played for the Sevens, won a gold medal, but at uh, just two centimetres shy, two metres tall and 108 kilos. He's a massive human being. So you imagine how fit he must be in terms of still being able to play Sevens at those sort of weights. And if you watch some of his highlights for Clermont, uh, he absolutely dominates for them in in multiple sort of things and is such a wizard at setting up tries for them with some of those patented offloads. And you put him together with someone who in Australia we know from rugby league days, but Semi Radradra, who's likely to take the 13 jersey, um, who's quietly made his transition from rugby league to rugby union. He's been over playing for Bordeaux uh, in the French league as well and been going about his business. And he's actually added a bit to his game. He was known as just that out-and-out tried scorer on the wing, but playing 13, he's improved his defence a little bit and he's actually given himself a little bit of a playmaking role in setting up some of his outside backs. So I think it's very lucky that Australia is coming up against these Fijians first up off the bat because I think once they get into this World Cup, they're going to continue to improve and improve. So I think we might be lucky to face them early in the tournament rather than later. And we definitely want to get off to a good start. Fiji, a team which... Again, you give them opportunities. You don't uh, manage your structure in defence well, and they they'll bring that that offloading and that pace to bear. And and it's so so quick. Things can go so badly so quickly when you get a couple of guys in behind the line. They always have guys in support. Uh, it's not going to be good enough to just have a sweeping fullback and a halfback there trying to cover the breakouts. They'll have three, four, five guys breaking through, and and they know where to put little chip kicks. You see guys from one through fifteen put little chip kicks, grubbers across. They're, they'll have a go. They'll have a free go at anything. They'll, they'll chance their hand. And, I mean, that's the sort of mentality that they usually bring again when they play the Tier 1 Nations anyway because if they play conservative, they're likely to just be gradually rolled through the course of 80 minutes. Yeah, and, like, they're ranked ninth in the world now. Fiji is definitely that elite team coming out of the Pacific Islands. And just say, I think they've got good coaching, um, quite a consistent player roster. I think they've... They've had these guys playing like Rad Radra at 13 for a little while now, so they're familiar with each other, and I think those combinations are working well. Um, are we seeing Ben Volavola at 10 still? I think he is still the lead 10 there. He was playing 10 in their last, um, in their last game versus Tonga, which they did win, but yeah, that is one question mark over them having a solid playmaker. I think we've, we have some question marks over Ben Volavola's ability there. Yeah, and he's been playing in France for a few years now, and... He seems to still get picked up by some of the top teams. You saw him snatched up by the Crusaders for a little while there, but nothing much came of that. But, yeah, he's never quite, I think, hit his straps completely, and that could be their one you know, issue if they don't have someone directing them around well. I know they're so good on the, on the counter-attack, but sometimes you do need a bit of strategy in your game and you do need someone to actually give you a bit of direction from that 10 spot. And if he's not really up to that, then they could struggle a little bit against teams like Australia and Wales. Where do we want to go next, boys? It's it's a question mark over whether you have Wales or Australia taking out this tournament. Obviously, Wales, the higher-ranked team at the moment with the history, have just beat the Wallabies end of last year. Do you have them winning? No. 
I don't think any of us are going to say yes to that. Good. I'm glad to say no one's being a traitor to the Australian blood right here. Oh, Wales is my my Northern Hemisphere team normally too. Uh, They won me over when they had such a unique and interesting jersey in the 2003 World Cup. Had to get my hands on one. Did. Bought it two sizes too big, as was the style at the time. And I've never grown into it. But, uh, yeah, look, diving into Wales, currently ranked fifth. Is that mm. is that true? On mm. on IRB, they've actually managed to slide. To they've fifth, dropped to so, fifth now, yeah. Yeah. So after team, two consecutive defeats. From one yeah, to after five. after re- really briefly being first in the world, now they've slipped to fifth, which just shows you how tight it is there up the top of the rankings at the moment, with a bit of shuffling leading into this World Cup, keeping things interesting. Uh, they've won two out of five in their lead up to the World Cup. Really, it's probably uh, one out of four because one of those wins was against Ireland back in March. So whether you count that as a World Cup lead-in, it's been quite a while. Um, they beat England at home, but the previous week they lost to England at Twickenham, and that's where they lost Gareth Anscombe, their fly half, uh, their first selection there. The guy has been pivotal in a streak of 14 wins going back be- beyond that game. Um, look, I think that's a real big turning point for, for Wales. They, they went on, as I said, they won in Cardiff against England but then they lost at home and away against Ireland, playing a mixed team, a few first stringers, but a lot of second stringers. Maybe they're still finding their new best combination. Dan Bigger, I think, is the person we should expect to play fly half for the Welsh. Has been a, a very, very useful uh, fly half in the past. Was, was second to Gareth Anscombe, came off the bench, did a lot of kicking late in games, finishing games for them. So by no means a stranger to this outfit and their success, but... Is he, is he the same quality player as Gareth Anscombe? I, I tend to think not. Um, I think they're probably going to be a little a little way off the pace, a little way um, off the form they've had in the last 12 months. Uh, I think the Australians will roll them in this pool. And if that's the case, then they will go on to face likely, uh, as I said, the English in that first quarter final and recent history again. Well, will they be able to overcome England if they're coming off a, a series of wins in their pool? It's going to be a tough ask for the Welsh if they make it into the into the semi-finals. Yeah, and they had a strong Six Nations, obviously getting that Grand Slam, and things were going so well for them up until March, and then Anscombe goes down, and I think they've lost a little bit of momentum and direction there. Um, some people would argue that even though they got what was it, fifteen wins on the on the track, yeah. Um, some of those wins were a little bit soft and perhaps didn't quite show the fact that Wales were at the, the highest level and maybe they, um, you know, they, they play a certain brand of rugby. In, but I still think that the top nations like Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, England, um, even Ireland, I think, should beat Wales when they play good rugby and they, mm. they move the ball. Um, Wales's defence has always been strong. They often limit teams to under 20 points when they're winning these games and... I think that's a real key for the Wallabies. We need to score points against Wales. We can't try and grind it out. Um, we saw how tough it was last World Cup when we were defending our line with 13 men. We just can't put ourselves in situations like that again because despite the fact we think the Wallabies should top this pool, Wales are, but they are a dangerous team and they can actually, you know, really, with their defence, grind you out of games. Does um Dan Bigger still do his dancing before he kicks? I don't think he does it anymore, does he? I stopped doing it, I think, last year. 
it's just so out of nowhere. So yeah. it was one of the highlights of that Welsh team for a while there. Every time they Bring go for back. a kick. Yeah. Just do the, the World Cup shuffle with Dan Bigger. But you're right. Their, their attack has always been a question mark for me. And you're right. If we can put some points on them, I just don't think they, they have the personnel to, to really um, put come back from a big deficit. Mm. I think if you score 30 points against Wales, you should win the game. Um, but yeah, you just can't be coaxed into playing their brand of football and, and not playing to your strengths. I think they can be strangled teams at times and Warren Gatlin's a very strong, very smart coach. Um, he's coached this team for a long time and look, they're very good with set piece, very good defensively, but I think, yeah, in terms of attack arch, I think they're going to struggle a little bit against the top teams. Well, that brings us to the Wallabies and obviously we have them winning that pool D which is good news for us, means we get out of it, though. <laughs> uh, means that we'll likely be coming up against who in the quarterfinals then? That must be... Could be Argentina or France. Yeah, that's right, depending on what... It's a perfect for. formula for us, though, if you look at that. like, I mean, you probably ideally want to play Scotland in the quarterfinals rather than, say, Argentina or France, maybe. But, you know, that's a great run for the Wallabies. If they can win that pool, get over the top of... Um, Probably Argentina could be France, but then you're probably setting up a semi-final with South Africa. So it's so important that the Wallabies get the win in this pool. Otherwise, it could go very differently for them, as we just talked about with England. Who do you think is the actual X-Factor player that's going to make the biggest difference in this Wallabies team? Obviously, everyone's going to contribute, but who do you think, if has a good game, really means that the Wallabies win? I want to pick two. But I'm happy to pick one. But I'm going to say two. Samu Karevi <laughs> and James O'Connor. But I'm happy to say, like, I think Samu Karevi is going to have a great World Cup. So I'm, mm. I'm happy not to have him as my pick. I actually think James O'Connor playing at 13, if he plays well, it's I've already seen a difference in our back line. The ball gets out, the extra man. It gets through sort of tackle contests, offloads, good support, great defense. Out of, out of complete wilderness for the Wallabies and certainly not something, as I said way back when we talked about it, I would have foreseen or gone and looked for on current form. If he if he continues to find combinations with the Wallabies, James O'Connor could be an absolute star for us in the World Cup. I'm just interested. I know you're talking about Jock at the moment, but I think that there is some talk that TK could start first game Fiji at 13. There has been a little bit of TK hype train coming around as well. And maybe that's because you're trying to combat the size of Semi Radraja and maybe they're a little bit concerned that Jock would be a little bit over, I guess, the size factor would come into play and he'd be a bit overpowered by him. But isn't that a risk bringing TK in at this stage when he hasn't played since South Africa like Toby, I two months be all ago? I about this. I was going to say, I, know, the, I the want hype this. train, Toby was this. the yeah, driver to- of the hype train. That's it. He's been want- trolling all James O'Connor's accounts on Twitter and be like, you're not good enough, you're not big enough. He's doing the same thing to when you, all his When others. you said conversations and articles, I'm thinking, well, Toby's been ghostwriting all of that. Yeah. yeah. He's been out there yeah. photoshooting TK in the shower, being like, look how good this guy is. And he's I understand good. TK has, has a history with the Wallabies. He's a good player. I just think he's has fewer dimensions than James O'Connor now that, from what I've seen this year. I want to see Samu, TK, and Korobiti in that first game against 
they're birth nations. I want to see it happen. <laughs> Just surround them dominate. This is the type of stuff Check does, though. He's like, boys, you know, you're playing against your, you know, a country that's still very important to the, I'd say, all three of them. And so it almost is like that extra bit of motivation. And then I could see him bringing Jock for the Wales game. But, like, you probably want Jock playing two games in a row, making sure he's really match fit. Mm. Um, you know, against someone like Rod Roger, I mean, if he's going to play 13 against the Springboks or the All Blacks, he's got to be used to guys running at him that are of that size, that skill set. Um, so there's no point trying to hide him from a game like this. I just thought it was interesting that there was chat about it when no one's talked about TK except me for two months. So why is it coming out now? I mean, this seems like one of those strange selections that Czech makes. It doesn't maybe quite come off at the time. Um, he thinks it's a good idea, but no one else does. Um, I think if you're talking about players that are influential, though, for the Wallabies, I think Nice is such a huge one for us. I think if he plays well at number eight, the amount of go get like go forward we get from him is amazing and really changes the way our forwards play. We have to be on the front foot. He's phys- physical. He can go all day. Um, and I think in combination with Hooper, and it's likely going to be Salakai Loto, but we'll see what they do with Pocock. I just think our back row is important to mm. our strengths at the ruck, and also we need to be carrying the ball well to get on top of these physical teams like Fiji and Wales. We need to actually have a strong back row there. So. Nicerani, I think, is really someone who, although he's only come in this year, I think he's really changes the mentality of our forward pack. Yeah, and for me, it's almost the same thing, but I'm not worried about Nicerani not having a good game in these first couple of ones. The person I am worried about is the other guy you're talking about, Luke Anselikai Lotto, and I think if he has a good game, and we have seen glimpses of it, if he has a good game in combination with Nicerani and our big second rowers having like Arnold and Rodder there, I think that gives us such an advantage going into some of the end, especially versus Fiji, who will want to swing it wide and they won't want to play this tight sort of grinding football. I think that's the player that if we start off well with him, then Australia wins. We definitely need to hold the ball a lot with the Fijians. We don't want to give them a lot of attacking opportunities because, like I said before, they'll chance their arm and in the game of chance, the more opportunities you get, the higher the probability that eventually one of them sticks. So keeping the ball away from them, tiring them out a bit in defence, making sure we're not getting tired out, doing a lot of defending. Because, uh, again, Lucan, one of our criticisms and, and one of the criticisms um, forced on him was that he didn't bring the energy, didn't get up off the ground, get in the line, reset quickly enough. Certainly no room for that sort of behaviour for anyone against the Fijians in round one. Yeah. I mean, it's good to see at least Jack Dempsey is kind of back in the picture, mm. challenging that sixth spot. I mean, even he could be challenging eight. I don't think Nicerani is going anywhere, but we still do think that there could be, you know, there needs to be some improvement in whoever plays six. Do you lose too much of the set piece playing Dempsey? I know you probably get more ball carrying and more, almost more physicality in some ways from him, but um, set piece has just been pretty strong for us since Salakai Loto has been there with those other locks that are, you know, they're massive guys, Rory Arnold, Isaac Rodder, the three of them in a line-out just seems to give us so many options. Yeah, and that's why I think Czech's been so hesitant to go away from it. But that sets up... You also... Sorry, I was just going to say, you also get some uh, utility value out of Lucan, where I don't think anyone's expecting Dempsey to hop in the second row should Mm. should something go upside down. And, um, I mean, maybe he goes to eight and Nicerani's expected to go in there, but really 
if you you're thinking about who's got the utility to slip into the second row, it's it's definitely Lucan. And that's right. He's been like he's been playing nearly all the minutes this season, and he has been making that transition into the second row in the second half occasionally. So you're right. That utility value is is quite good for the Wallabies, particularly if you have an injury in games. Well, that's pretty much wraps up the World Cup preview. So everything that you guys needed to know, you now have a base of people to watch, people to cheer for, sound smart to your friends when you're watching Japan versus Russia in that opening game and you're pointing out the player to watch. Um, But sets up an absolutely amazing weekend, starting off with that Japan-Russia game on Friday, but then Saturday afternoon, Australia time, starting with... uh, Australia versus Fiji at 2.45, then France versus Argentina, followed by New Zealand versus South Africa. You're absolutely not going to want to move from your couch that Saturday afternoon because they're three absolutely massive games in three different pools right there. That is a lot of rugby. There's a high, high, high entertainment dose right there. There's going to be three huge games in to determine mm. um, the, the, the way the pools play out and the, those quarterfinal matchups, which... Like we said, if Australia can't win its pool, uh, coming in against England, potentially having to beat England, then having to beat New Zealand just to get to the final, you do not want to hit that path. I was looking through some of the other odds for this tournament as well, and obviously uh, the favourites to win the whole tournament, New Zealand, still at $2.25, with England, South Africa both at $5 behind them as well, followed then by Ireland at $9, Australia all the way down there at 15 Um only being the sixth favourite for it. Um, any people there, would you would you think about putting some money on South Africa, given the form we've said and how much you've liked them, Liam? Look, I'm, I'm not a massive gambling man, but if I was going to put something on anything, I think the South Africans are the, are the ones I expect could beat the Kiwis. I, I, don't, I just can't see England beating New Zealand. I know they haven't recently, and I just can't see that happening. I... I know they're a strong team, but I, I just don't think it'll get there. And, and really, the way the pools are structured, it's pretty unlikely that they'd end up in the final itself anyway. Uh, I really think the South African-New Zealand final is on, and I, I can definitely see them upsetting, so that'd be where I'd go. It's interesting as well, looking at the top try scorers for the tournament, and obviously this is an abundance of wingers, but within the top four try scorers predicted for the tournament, there are three Kiwi wingers in there and one English <laughs> ones. So, boys, can you give me the names that you think are there? Rico. Rico's George number Bridge. four. George Bridge, number two. Seve will be Reese. number one. Seve Reese, number one at $7.50. And the one ben English Smith? guy that gets in there as well. Oh, okay. Toby's favourite. Johnny May. Johnny, Johnny May. May's there at third $11. you got to think there's a lot of uh, lowly pool matches where if someone like Sevi Reese happens to get a run in one of those matches, God, he could rack up some tries. Yeah. New Zealand, yeah, Namibia. That's it. Yeah, that's right. Like, that'll be over, that'll be over 100 points for sure. Maybe that's, that might be where Rico plays, and you, you could get five. It'd be crazy. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. He'll do what Chris Latham did back in 2003, just rack mm. up five quick tries. But it's, it's yeah, that's going to be a massive score because if you can beat Tonga, what, 94 to 7 or whatever it was, that's, yeah, it's going to get messy. Hmm. So definitely a couple there, but yeah, that's obviously why the two South African wingers with Cheslin Colby and Makazola Mapimpi are uh, in there as well, just behind um, Rico and Jacob Scott um, Stockdale. But obviously getting to play someone like uh, Namibia again in that pool is going to really help their chances as well. 
Since you're looking at it, where does the first Australian come up on that first highest try scorer list? Because I I would be getting the gut feeling that between us and maybe maybe Wales and maybe Ireland, they're not expecting a whole lot of points out of our guys. Marika would be ninth. He's still scrolling. He's still scrolling. Marika is number one, but he's in the late twenties. I think he's at twenty nine. What? Oh. The absolute disrespect that you have them. You have so many of these Irish and um, English players coming up before him. He's at $51, just in front of Stuart Hogg and Reese Hodge as well. But interesting, you have people like Jacob Stockdale for Ireland at $12. You have Kokosunga for England at $19. You have George North there at $23. And the first non-winger is Bowden Bowden Barrett at $26 there. I just think the fact that New Zealand have a couple of minnow nations in their pool, they're going to rack up 80-plus points in probably two games. And that will automatically, by virtue of that, I think their wingers will definitely have, you know, five to eight tries each in some ways. Mm. George Bridge and Sever Reese can just, they score most games. They're so good. Yeah, 100%. Well, that about wraps it up from us, and it's going to be an absolute electric week. And uh, we're not sure when we're going to get back into come through with a few of the reviews of some of these games because there's just so many in we'll have to find a time when we're actually not stuck watching these games to actually record something so it may be a week or a week and a half before we get back to you but we'll we'll be there all the way through and keep following us on social media you'll see a lot of the updates as well as what's happening there and that's at running rugby podcast at instagram and on facebook or at running rugby pod on twitter as well but thanks, guys, for tuning in to this World Cup preview. Happy to have you guys listening in to another episode. Uh, we'll obviously be back, but keep on running. Run.